sometime yesterday afternoon, I was flipping through the channels, and you know, when you, you have a few minutes and you don't know what you want to watch, if any of you have ever been there, just kind of flipping through the channels, and I came across a show, I don't know if any of you have ever heard of it or not, it's called Selling Jets. Have any of you ever heard of that show? Apparently they, they film a, an organization that sells private jets to people, and, and as I was flipping through that, I, 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 there's a couple that's sitting there, and as I'm kind of running through the channels, just stop, hesitate for just a moment, and I hear the word tithe. And so I stopped to see how selling jets and tithe work, work together in that, and, and uh, there was this couple that was in there from Texas, and he's trying to talk his wife into letting him buy a multi-million dollar jet. And, and in the discussion, he says, you know, why, why shouldn't we do this? You know, we travel everywhere. He goes, we tithe to our church. We give, we give God 10% of everything we make. And, and this is just a blessing. And, and I've never heard of private jets and tithe in the same sentence before. So it, it kind of just caught me for a second. And I stopped there. And she began to negotiate with him. And she says, well, here's the deal. I will... I will vote that we can buy this particular private jet. They were, they were looking at two. One was a, a smaller one and one was a larger one. And she goes, I think we need to get the larger one, but here's why. She says, if, since we tithe our income to the Lord, 10%, what if we tithe 10% of the airtime and made sure that we, through our church, do, do missions and, and that we can deliver stuff? And, and I'm watching all of this, and at the end, they agree, they make a deal that they're going to tithe time on this jet and to missions, and, and I just, I was wondering what their pastor thought. And so it just dawned on me, if any of you have been having personal discussions with one another, and you've been trying to decide which jet that you wanted to buy, if you want to just include me in those conversations, I would be glad to give some direction so that we could work it out where we could... Uh, um, Go on missions trips with 10% of your jet time and, and uh, move stuff. I'm sure, that, I'm sure the Andersons would have some things that they would want us to, to fly down and join them. But I just thought that was a really interesting discussion. Today I want to continue with a series I began last week. And today the, the topic of this message is clothed in power. Clothed in power. And, and to start today, I'd like to do a little experiment. I'm going to ask you to do something I don't ask you to do much. I want you to take out your, your smartphone, if you would, please. Everyone just go ahead and reach out and grab it. I know you have one. <clears throat> okay? Everybody got it? I know because you use it to read the Bible, the whole message. I see you guys just staring at your phone the whole, the whole message and, and know that you're taking notes. And, and uh, how many of you would say that as you look at the battery, it's more than 50% charged? Okay? How m- how many of you are in the red zone? <laughs> there are just no words. Actually, there are, there are words. She's in the ministry. It, it dawned on me this week. Now, I'd like you to turn the ringers off while you have them out. It dawned on me this week, as I was thinking about the power of God, that I have... I have arranged my life, and maybe you have as well, I've arranged my life to make sure that my cell phone battery never dies. I have a routine at night that I know where I plug it in, it's, it, you know, so I know that it's going to be 100% when I start the day, 
I know that if I have important calls that I want to make or important games that I want to play, that, that I have made sure that that battery is charged because I was laughing at some of the commercials, and I can't remember what, what company it was, but there's a mom and dad doing FaceTime with their kids, and they're going, sweetheart, this is mom and dad. We're about to die. We're, we're just about to die. And there's people running around with their phones. I'm about to die. I'm about to die. And they're always they're looking for places to plug in. And then there's people that are fighting for this plug. You know, this guy's down there digging, and a girl <laughs> stuck it right in there. And she goes, I was dying. I'm dying. And, and I begin to recognize that we, we arrange our lives from time to time, making sure that something that in the scope of eternity is insignificant as our smartphones are always full of power, and yet we oftentimes do not mind living in spiritual power in the red zone, where we live day to day with an understanding that we are not full of the power of God. In the book of Luke chapter 24 and verses 45 through 49, I, I used this verse last week as part of just kind of pouring the foundation for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and where we get it scripturally so that there wouldn't be any discouragement or discussion as that this is something that's denominational. This is scriptural. And in this particular passage, it says, then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures and he told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Father, I I ask this morning that you would begin to do a work within each of us by which our understanding might be heightened that you would bring to us an anointing, and, and it says in the Scripture that you opened their minds so they could understand. And Father, I do believe that with the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you will give me an ability to communicate clearly, but also you will anoint their minds and hearts so that we can understand clearly exactly what you want us to know. And so I pray that today in Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever been told by somebody that you really respect that what you do and what you know is not enough? They look at you and they tell you, you are not talented enough. You are not gifted enough. You are not strong enough that you don't have what it takes to do a job. Even though you feel that you've been trained well and you would like your shot to be able to prove it, And if you have ever felt that way, if somebody that you love and respect have ever told you that and and made you feel that way, then you probably know how the disciples of Jesus must have felt when Jesus told them, you do not have what it takes yet to handle the task that I have for you. This must be the conclusion that the disciples must have reached when they heard Jesus give this command because it tells us in Acts chapter 1 verses 4 and 5 that Jesus is looking at them as he's getting ready to leave this earth and ascend into heaven and he says, do not leave Jerusalem but wait for the gift of my father which he's promised you and that you heard me speak about. And I begin to think about that scene in my mind because I've told you so many times, I have to picture things to, to figure them out and learn them. And I, and I figured, here, here are these men that have been, for the most part, they've been trained by Jesus for three years. Most of them. These individuals had received hands-on 
personal training, daily interaction with the perfect Son of God. They had heard all of his teaching. They knew what his literal voice sounded like because they had heard him speak. They had watched him as he had healed people. They had watched him as he did miracles, as he, as he confronted spiritual darkness and cast out demons. They had had opportunities when they were sitting around in the morning, around the fire to eat, and they're just asking questions and speaking to one another they, to get insight and instruction from him. They'd had the opportunity to, to serve and operate as apprentices, receiving direction and correction from Jesus himself in the flesh. And yet, as Jesus is about to ascend from this earth into heaven, his last instructions to them was wait for the Holy Spirit baptism before you start the mission. The last words that he said to them, is basically saying, I know that you have been with me every day for three years, but that's not enough. They needed something else if they were going to be maximum in their effectiveness. And this is not something that I am making up. This comes from the words of the risen Savior himself. So we should not be so arrogant as to assume that we do not need this same equipment. We can go to seminary. We can study doctrines, you may be a Bible quizzer, you may have memorized great portions of the Bible, maybe you have gone to conferences and you listen to sermons on a regular basis, maybe you fast and you pray, maybe you love having great scriptural discussions, but the learning and the studying and the receiving training and the praying, while these are all great and they are helpful, it is not enough to do the job that God has laid out for his people to do. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father, this endowment of power from on high that comes from heaven, Christ has expressly informed us, is the indispensable condition of performing the work which he has set before us. So Jesus is telling us that without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what we contain in our own knowledge and in our own mind is simply not enough to do the work that he has laid out for us. If you have your bulletin, there's two or three points there that I would like to just highlight for the next few minutes. If you want to jot down some notes, the first one is this, the language of being clothed in power. We've discovered oftentimes that the Bible will use a type, which is a picture of something or a metaphor, or a simile, as taking off old clothes and, and putting on the new garments of God and so Jesus told the disciples that they had to have a change of wardrobe. They needed to be clothed in power from heaven. Clothed in power from heaven. This language would not have been uncommon. It was not an uncommon word usage for the disciples to hear because they knew the Old Testament scriptures and they knew places in the Old Testament where that had taken place. In fact, we see in Judges chapter 6, in verses 11 and 12, and back in October, I ministered from this passage of Scripture when we were in our capital campaign, that the angel of the Lord came and sat down under an oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, and he said, this, the, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I, I love this scene, and I remember talking about it 
that he is literally hiding in a wine press, which is underground, and he's using it for an uncommon purpose. He's stamping on the wheat, trying to get the seeds out so that he can save a little bit so that his family can eat. And in the middle of hiding in fear from the enemy, the angel of the Lord shows up and calls him a name that he never would have considered of himself. While he's acting like a coward, the Lord said, you are a mighty warrior. You are a mighty man of valor. And what an astonishing address it is. This this slave cringing before his enemies and the angel of the Lord comes and calls him something that he is not. And over these next few verses in that particular passage, God gives him instructions of what he wants him to accomplish. And all of it is absolutely impossible from a physical perspective. He simply is incapable of it. But you get to chapter 6, verse 34 of this, and it says this. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and Gideon blew the trumpet. Now, this, this term came upon in Hebrew literally means he was clothed. There was a power clothing that God gave him in that instant that transformed him from a fearful slave into a conquering mighty warrior. The only difference was he was clothed with power from on high so that he could accomplish the task that God had given to him. Absolutely impossible until he took a Man that was a coward and clothed him with courage and power and victory and triumph. How many of you are ready to be clothed with some triumph? Hallelujah. There's another story that the disciples would have known when Jesus was talking about being clothed in power. And it comes from 2 Kings, the powerful old prophet Elijah and his spiritual son Elisha. God used the prophet Elijah to do some amazing things. And and as you begin to read about some of them, you would come across things like this in 1 Kings chapter 7 when he was faced with an evil king who was leading the people of Israel the wrong way. And the prophet looks at him and says, I am going to cut off the rain. You are going to go into a drought and it will not rain again until I say so. And a drought came across the land. A chapter later, He comes across a godly widow who was suffering because of the drought that was there. She had almost nothing left to live on. She and her son and the prophet comes and he sees her and through a miraculous, a miraculous touch, Elijah, through the power of God, is able to provide for her all the meal and oil that she needs so that they don't starve to death and they begin to eat and have everything they need. Later on in that chapter, he restores a child to life. Many of us that know the Bible know about the epic battle that he had with the prophets of Baal when they are out there dancing around and he's teasing them saying, is your prophet asleep? Maybe he's doing something else today and they begin to cut themselves in anger and he's just mocking them. It's the first time we see trash talk in the Bible. And all of this is going on and then after that he walks over there and he builds his altar and he pours water on it and he looks at them and he prays and fire falls from heaven and eats the Everything that's there, even including the dirt. This marvelous power of God that came down. He's sitting on a hill one day, and there's a king that was angry at him that wanted to talk to him. So he sent a captain and 50 men, and they're at the bottom of the hill, and they yell up at him. Hey, our king wants to see you. Come on down here. And he called fire down from heaven and kind of fried him. So the king was angry, and he sent another group of a captain and 50 more men. And they yell the same thing up there. And He calls fire from heaven and fries them, and then the king says, well, let's do it again. It's worked so well the first two times. 
So he calls another captain and 50 more men. And this guy by now is seeing all of the little smoking corpses of everybody else that had done this. And he approaches it way differently. Please don't fry me. And he comes and he humbles himself and he yells up there. And then the Lord changes his heart and he comes down to talk. We know that he was up there praying when he saw this cloud the size of a man's hand. And prophetically, he knew that the drought was about to be over physically and also what it means to us spiritually. I mean, God used Elijah in some miraculous things. He divided the water of Jordan in 2 Kings 2. And Elisha, his apprentice, was with him for so much of this. And as a result of that, Elisha recognized, I'm not letting this man out of my sight. I want to be around somebody who is clothed with power that God uses so mightily. And we get to 2 Kings chapter 2, and we read verses 7 through 15. It said, 50 men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. In other words, there's a group of men, all of the men of God, that are watching these two, and they come right to the edge of the river, and it looks as if the river was a barrier that they weren't going to be able to go any farther. As I was thinking about that this morning, I thought, some of you have walked right up to the barrier of a river. You know that God is calling you to greater things, but it seems as if the obstacles in your way that are keeping you from everything God wants you to have are about to uh, something that you can't overcome. Let me tell you something. When God is leading, there is no barrier. God will break it down. So they got there, and when they got there, Elijah took off his cloak, and he rolled it up, and he struck the water with it, and the water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. You want to know why the other 50 didn't get to cross? Because they never even made it far enough to get to the barrier. And when they had crossed, Elijah and Elisha said, tell me, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken from you. And Elisha, in what is one of the greatest lines in Scripture, says to him, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. And Elijah looked at him and said, you've asked a difficult thing. He said, yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. And as they were walking along, talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. And Elisha saw this and he cries out, my father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Notice this. Then he took hold of his own garments and tore them in two. In other words, Elisha recognizing that the clothes that Elijah had worn had fallen off of him, sees his own clothes and instantly destroys them, tears them up. I don't need what I've had in the past because I'm about to put on something brand new. And after ripping those off, he takes the clothing that Elijah had worn and he puts those on and it said, he stood back at the bank of the Jordan and he took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah. And he stepped up to that bank and he smote the water with it. And he cries this out in faith. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And as he speaks out in power, he struck the water. And it divided to the right and to the left. And he crossed over. The company of the prophets of Jericho were watching and said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him. And bowed down before him. 
I could preach a whole series out of that about how 50 prophets decided that rather than enjoy the power of God, they would choose just to watch. I do not want our church to be a church of observers. It gets really, really easy for us to find all the kind of reasons for us not to be participants in the power of God, but simply to be observers. But you can begin to see the parallels here as Elijah left his mantle for Elisha. So Jesus left his mantle for us, and he wants us to carry the same spirit as was upon him. We move into the New Testament, and Peter becomes a great example to us of what it means to be clothed in power. God changed Peter from a common fisherman to an anointed miracle worker. Peter was a great Christian, but from all of his greatness in his faith journey, it was punctuated by episodes of doubt and struggle. Yet, through it all, God stayed with Peter step by step and transformed him from a new convert into a mature believer. And what God did in Peter... He desires to do the same for you and I. We might look at our lives and say, we are just common. I'm common at what I do. I'm common at my work. And in the middle of this, God sees something in you that you may not see in yourself. And he will call you to greater things. Peter was working one day as a fisherman when Jesus said, come and follow me. And I will make you a fisher of men. And it said, at once he left his net and followed him. Peter was a great workplace conversion. Right in the middle of the job, Jesus interrupts his life and expresses grace to him. And Peter was ready to meet God as evidenced by his leaving everything at once to follow him. But we also know as we look at the life of Peter that he struggled in his faith. It was not a consistent walk. He had ups and downs as many of us do. In fact, Satan targeted Peter. In Caesarea Philippi and misled him regarding one of Jesus' teaching. And in Mark chapter 8 verse 32 it records that Peter had been so deceived by Satan that Peter took it upon himself to take Jesus by the arm, move him aside and try to rebuke Jesus or try to correct Jesus. Jesus in this instant looked at him and says to Peter, get thee behind me Satan. You do not have the mind of God but you have in mind the things of man. And Peter stood shaking. In fact, as you look through Scripture, Peter was one of only two disciples that Jesus rebuked. The other was Judas. Judas ultimately betrayed Jesus, but Peter became his apostle. In our walk with God, there are going to be moments of time when we have to give Jesus permission to rebuke us, to bring correction to our life, to humble ourselves where We pretend that, or we we recognize that we are not arrogant, that we don't know it all. And it's in the way that we respond to the correction of Jesus through the Holy Spirit that will determine whether or not you will grow in the Lord or whether or not you will rebel from God. And we see the example of it there. But something happens to Peter when he gets baptized in the Holy Spirit. He's transformed. We see it in Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 21. Following the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven. In other words, eleven of the 120 that were there, they stand together, and Peter begins to speak out. And he raised his voice, and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit on those 
in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness. The moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this, he says. And then moving over into verses 40 through 41. At the end of that great message, he says, and with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. If there were 3,000 people saved here in one day, I would put it on Facebook. Just want to warn you ahead of time, I'm expecting a great Easter, a great Easter. This man, having been baptized in the Holy Spirit, clothed with power from on high, goes from a man that eight weeks before was so flimsy in his faith that he couldn't stand up to a slave girl and say that he knew Jesus, to after the baptism of the Holy Spirit, standing up and preaching in power and seeing thousands come to him. Something happened to Peter when he was clothed with power from heaven. And the scripture goes on to talk about the differences of in his life from the before and the after of that. When he comes a little bit later and he sees a crippled beggar uh, by the gate, the temple gate, and he says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Stand up and walk. And he lifts him up, and the man is healed instantly. In Acts chapter 9, God used Peter in Joppa to raise Tabitha from the dead. When it says Peter sent everybody out of the room, and he got down on his knees, and he prayed, turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. And she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. God did all of this through a recently converted fisherman, so that he can show that he can use all of us in unbelievable ways if we simply will allow him to clothe us with power from on high. You see, I believe that we in the Pentecostal circles have often thought that once I speak in tongues, once I've got it, that that's it. And I want you to know that we need to pay as much attention to being full of the battery of the Holy Spirit as we do keeping our phones charged. That there'd be something fresh and new about that. That we would never be in a state where we've got a blinking red light because we just simply have not tapped into his power. So what does this mean to you and I? How does it affect us that we might be clothed in power? Jeff Leake is the author of the book Power for Life. And he tells a story in his book about Johannes Amritzer, a young man that grew up in Germany. Johannes had a rough childhood. Really, really rough. His father was a criminal, in and out of prison his whole life. His mother moved from one abusive boyfriend to another. The result was that Johannes moved from foster home to foster home, and he grew up as a very young boy recognizing that if he was going to survive, he needed to learn to fight for his life. Early in his life, he got involved in alcohol and sex and drugs and crime just to cope and survive. But deep down in his spirit, he began to recognize that he felt there was a voice that's saying, you've been created for more than this. You've been built for something more than this. And he couldn't explain it because he didn't yet know Jesus. He just felt this stirring. And one day when he went to the train station, very, very early in the morning as the sun was just rising, he looks out over the platform and he 
He says, the first thing I see is those that were just strung out on drugs laying there. So I looked over to the other side and there were those that were homeless that were trying to sleep, covered up with papers and cardboard. He said, as the train came in, the doors opened, I saw those that had worked all night as prostitutes getting off the train, just looking haggard and exhausted, living in misery. And when he saw them, he said, I felt that voice again speak inside me. And he said, I heard him say to me, one day you, I'm going to use you to reach people like this, to bring them to hope. He said, at that moment, I had no idea what was happening to me. Shortly after that, his brother, his older brother, met somebody that knew Jesus, and they led him to Christ. And as a result of his zeal, he kept talking to Johannes and said, man, I, you've got to meet Jesus. You've got to meet. You've got to come to church with me. And, and Johannes said, we had lived in such a way that we knew how to play the game. And he thought, I thought this was just another way of manipulating me to get something out of me because I'd lived that way my whole life. I thought my brother had found a new scheme, and he was trying to suck me into that. And he said, every day he would just continue to hound me and hound me, and I began to recognize his life looked different than mine did. So one day, just to shut his brother up, he went to church. Does that sound familiar for any of you? That service, the voice of the Holy Spirit began to speak to him again, and this time he began to recognize it. And he went to the front, and he yielded his life to Jesus Christ. Had a miraculous transformation. It was just a few days later when he went to the youth group for the first time that one of the youth leaders told him that he needed to experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that God would clothe him with power from heaven that would change the way he would do business and look at life. And so he went forward and was miraculously and powerfully baptized in the Holy Spirit. It was very shortly after that that as he was walking down the streets, he felt the Lord speak to him about those that were sitting on the side of the road. And he said, stop, address them and speak to them. I want to bring healing to their life. And so he stopped and he spoke to one. He said, I don't know what's happening, but I just feel like in the name of Jesus, you need to stand up. And he took them and they began to be healed. All around him, things were taking place. No one could have predicted the degree to which Johannes would be used by God. But today he is one of the most powerful Holy Spirit-filled evangelists in Europe. You see, God used him in some incredible ways. And when he was being interviewed, they said, what is the difference in the way you are today and the way you used to be? How could God take somebody whose family, you came from a ruined family, and turn you into what you are today? And he said, first of all, I came to know Jesus as my Savior, and he made me a brand new creature. And second of all, none of this would be possible in my life if it wasn't for the baptism of the Holy Spirit where I began to be clothed with power from heaven. We read stories like this, and oftentimes we leave them on the shelf, but I need you to understand that I believe that what God is calling you as an individual and our church to is going to require that we be clothed in power. The enemy is not going to give up easy. And you and I in our own power are not able or capable. But I do believe that when we are clothed in power, that we will have what we need to begin to make a difference in our day and age. 
I'm going to ask that you would stand with me this morning and the worship team is going to lead us in a song. And at the end of that, we're going to begin to pray. Thank you.